Hello and welcome to People of Note on Classic 1027. This is a program which is broadcast every Sunday from 6 to 8. And in it I talk to someone who is a person of note and we listen to music of their choice. And my guest in tonight's program is Ray Witcher, who is a South African. He's uh, a lecturer in digital arts at Wits University and he's a comic artist. Now by that you're going to have to explain to us because it sounds as though you might be a stand-up comic, but you're not. Yeah, so that is Good a, evening. And, and, and thank welcome. You, thank you very much for having me. It's first a great and pleasure. Um, so, yes, <laughs> a common misconception is when you say the word comic, especially in, within South African's, uh, South Africa's context, we generally get, co- uh, get the term conflated with comedians, so comics and comedians. Um, but when I speak about comics, I'm literally speaking about books with pictures and text in them um, with juxtaposed panels that you then read from sequence, like a normal book. Um, so it's the, the, a common example would be Superman or Batman, anything that you're seeing in the movies nowadays with all the Marvel movies, you know, the, those sort of things. And it's been a really interesting journey for me because I started, as most people do with comics, as a fan, um, but a very young fan. I'd start, my love started at about, about four years old, actually. Um, Your and, first reading experience. Yes, actually. Yeah. Well, I'd say reading very little yeah, 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 as, yeah. as a four-year-old, but <laughs> consuming pictures was very yeah. easy back then. Um, and then, yeah, it's, I've actually pursued this as a career as part of my own um, academic mandate and many different things that have actually really inspired me from comics from the way I draw to the way I write everything about them and now uh, with the massive revolution in movies and filmmaking it's just been a whole different thing for me as well yeah because there are movies of comics now yes very much so is that something big now? Oh, it's enormous. So it's, uh, I mean, the Marvel movies, so the Avengers and Black Panther, for example, those films have rated billions and billions of dollars. It's, it's basically become its own industry. And much of the kind of, it, it, it polarizes a lot of critics because people are complaining now that superhero movies have, have become their own thing now and that they're actually saturating or even oversaturating the film market um, and making people ignore other, other more the standard types of, types of films. And it's interesting because now as a as a fan of comics myself i haven't been happier in my entire existence than now because there's so much comic related content but it's become so normalized now that anyone can be a comic fan whereas previously it was almost a kind of stigma to be that guy that sat in the corner read comic books that was terrifying and evil and whatever <laughs> the first piece of music that ray has chosen is called hang me up to dry i'm talking to ray witcher who is a lecturer in digital arts at wits ray when we're talking about comics when you're talking about comics are you and i talking about the same thing like when i was young i remember every saturday i used to go up to the i think it was the cna to get my eagle comic Yes. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, so, uh, so you know, the, from uh, the earliest days of even, we started getting comics in the, in the country from about the 50s um, with the usual affair that would have been that would have been your Superman and Batman. So the big well-known American titles, but we also had a severe influx of British and French comics, which you mentioned with Eagle. Um, and obviously we also had a lot of sports comics like Roy of the Rovers, which eventually went on to inspire titles like Super Strikers um, because people were so influenced by these early, these early sports comics. And it was something different to the usual the usual fare that was available in the 60s which was mostly superhero or post-war comics um, and then of course we have a lot of francophone comics like Asterix and Tintin um, and most people have grown up reading at least one of those titles even though you'd be surprised as to how many comics we read were originally French um, and it's been interesting in the South African context that we were exposed so much to French titles whereas a lot of other cultures aren't so much yeah now this is very interesting because when I was at at prep school 
1958 or 59, one of my school friends, Michael Scumby, I remember him well, got what must have been probably the first edition of Tintin. Mm. Uh, one was the expedition to the moon, I think it yes. was called. I remember the red and white rocket the on the rocket, cover. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there was another one, which he gave to me. I've since lost them, but I realize I must have lost something really special because I think they were first editions. Yeah, and you've lost a lot of money. Let's put I it know. like that. <laughs> this is so bad. Yes. I had them for years at home, and then I guess they were chucked out eventually. Oh, that's sad. That's very sad. But that's exactly what we're talking about, those comic books or actual paper comics. Yes. Which we used to go along on a Saturday morning to the movies in Cape Town and exchange comics also. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> So th have they made a comeback now? Because there was a stage when they were slightly considered to be not so, you know, it's not real literature. Yes, unfortunately. So that was a particularly prevalent during the 90s and the early 2000s where it was a kind of derisive and yeah. non-accepted non for a form of media in terms of being mass-produced, mass entertainment. Um, and it. Honestly, the comics at those, of those times did suffer a little bit in terms of their storytelling. But as if you think about the, the, the sort of timelines that we're, that we're talking about here, we also only were introduced to the notion of a graphic novel in the, in the late 70s and early 80s. So the, where the difference between a graphic novel and a comic being that uh, graphic novels tend to be self-contained stories that run generally over a larger amount of pages. So an average graphic novel can be anywhere from 50 to 100 pages long, whereas a standard comic is only going to be 20 pages. And then they'll have story arcs, blah, blah, blah. But in terms of the way the storytelling uh, kind of changed was definitely post the year 2008 where it's uh, and it's a lot of things that dictated that so things like September 11th um, which changed the way the world started seeing things as simple as air travel where it used to just be a thing people did and then now it became this massive horror and this constant fear and paranoia and comics started really almost focusing on those sort of storylines and it's where the storyline of Thanos came from which was uh, the main villain of the Avengers franchise for the last three films um, and it was interesting because he represented this this kind of all-encompassing over overpowering entity that was unbeatable that uh, that struck fear into the into the universe never mind just earth and it was this kind of human struggle against this thing that was just basically unstoppable and how t how just tenacity and struggle and and never giving up is just something that became such a theme of com comics that it inspired a lot of younger people as well and of course we started seeing a big uptake in south african comics and um, so we started seeing as the, the launch of things like super strikers as i mentioned earlier in the year 2000 and, the, and in such a sports-mad country as we are, it was the perfect platform, a soccer-based comic that was distributed freely in a large major newspaper. It was the perfect formula to actually get comics back off the ground in this country as well, because we'd suffered quite a lull since, uh, since the late 80s um, with a very problematic comic named Mighty Man. Now, Mighty Man was essentially an apartheid propaganda mouthpiece that was telling people you need to behave and listen to the police and it's the problem was it was commissioned by two americans that had never actually seen or been to south africa they were paid a large amount of money it was 18 million rand in the 80s to make this comic and it wasn't exactly well received let's just put it like that how this is fascinating i mean i i know very little about the world of comics except from when i was younger let's listen now to your next choice of music which is true survivor by david Hasselhoff. I'm talking to Ray Witcher, who is a lecturer in digital arts at Wits University, about comics, because at the moment there is an exhibition going on uh, 
in collaboration with the French Institute in South Africa. Just tell us a bit about that. Yes, so this is an incredibly important and very exciting thing that happened in the last few months. So, uh, as you mentioned, the Art of Comics exhibition is currently on at the Johannesburg Art Gallery. It's running until the 17th of November. Um, And it was a collaborative effort between the French Institute and the French Embassy, as well as uh, various South African stakeholders. So, um, for example, from JAG's side, uh, Tara Weber is my co-curator, and the two of us actually represent the South African contingent that's that's actually on display at the gallery at the moment. So our main focus was to actually demonstrate contemporary South African comics because while historical re- uh, um, retrospectives are important, we actually want to show the, the people that are attending the gallery to actually what comics are available right now that people are making, that people are selling, that people are trying to get out into the public. And it's always been an interesting space because comics are already a niche thing. Let's let's be honest. So, I mean, you have to buy it from specialist stores. It's not very easily accessible. So when you say South African comics, it becomes even further niche because now it's almost made on a bespoke kind of model where we kind of do as many as we can. So... For example, when I make my comic, I can only afford to print 100 copies at a time. And so I'll do that and then I'll sell that at events like Comic-Con Africa, which happened recently as well. Um, so the exhibition, is its its focus is to really reframe comics in terms, excuse the pun of course, in terms of actually showing comics as an art artifact, not just as entertainment, but as actual physical art. And it's become a, a very important goal of mine because for a large portion of my life, and especially when I was young and in school, my art teachers would constantly tell me and chat me that uh, about comics being garbage and that they were just throw away and pulp and nonsense and didn't mean anything and that's it kind of inspired me to actually rather prove them wrong essentially yeah, yeah, yeah. to show him that these things mean something to people that it's it's not just throw away p- pretty pictures it's actually contemporary literature it's 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 as important as harry potter or any other book that you could actually mention right now and uh, and it just it's obviously just got its own audience and so for in terms of the gallery and the way the exhibition has been framed we want people to actually go and engage with this but with the space of the gallery in terms of seeing that this massive beautiful old building is now housing art that's as young as the year 2016 and it's it's showing new things that people are making And just give us an idea of the sort of ages of people and what sort of demographic reads or looks at comic Yes. Yeah. So interestingly, obviously, it depends on the content and the title. So it's uh, so an average comic reader can be anywhere from the uh, from the age of thirteen all the way through to seventy. Uh, it just depends on what they like. I have to say, I still love reading Tintin. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I think everyone has this wonderful nostalgic attachment to Tintin because it's how, of how important that character has been in our lives because we've always had access to Tintin and Asterix and many other titles. And I think, and and uh, to further on your demographic question, it's interesting because it doesn't actually make a difference what race what gender you are uh, we've actually seen a, sub- a substantial change in the in the demographic in terms of more female consumption where it used to be very much a white male thing we've actually started to see a big change in that it, the audience has become completely diversified because comics themselves have become diversified we're starting to see a black spider-man like miles morales from spider-man um well sorry spider-man into the spider-verse and then we've also got um riri williams who is uh, is a female iron man um, and uh, and also non-white, and we've had these incredible things. We've even got char- characters like Miss Marvel, not to be confused with Captain Marvel, who is actually a Muslim superhero and very proudly uh, proudly touts her faith. So, and I think that's something that's so interesting is that 
cultural and representational things have become so different. In, t in fact, we've even got incredibly beautiful LGBT comics as well. Um, we even are displaying one at the gallery itself called Meanwhile, which is by the Kintu Collab. And it's an incredible experience that, doc uh, that dic uh, essentially documents what it's like being queer in Africa. And it's a wonderful piece of work. Let's listen to your next choice of music, and then I want to ask you about where comics find themselves in the wider world. I'm talking to Ray Witcher, who is a South African comic artist. Yes. Can I call you that? Yes, you can. Uh, <laughs> comic artist. In fact, that's what you are. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's actually funny because I tend to frame myself as a comic maker um, because uh, the word artist also has ramifications to it, whereas you have the luxury of just making the art. I think in the South African instance, unfortunately, we tend to have to do everything. So we have You to make the storyline as well. Everything. Yeah. We, we write, we color, we, uh, we do yeah. the art, we do the distribution, we do the production, everything. But this is good because it gives you many entrepreneurial skills. Of course. Yeah. Yes. But just tell me where comics find their place in the wider world? Where, where are the big countries that consume comics? So obviously the, the, the easiest answer to that one would be America. Um, it's where most, most of our understanding of comics has come from. So especially the westernized superhero model. So your, your average Marvel or DC character is going to have originated from the American context. But there are other large countries that are producing comics in a very different way. So France, for example, um, actually refers to comics as the ninth art form. So they actually not uh, not only are comics celebrated, but they are revered as an actual a cultural artifact in France as a country. They have an enormous industry there. The government has full initiatives and support programs for it. And then obviously by relation, Canada does the same thing. Um, and it's an incredibly remarkable process that they go through because of how much they support commercial arts, so animation, comics, etc. They really do believe that this is as respectable as, as a Renaissance painting. And then of course you go to the east and japan uh, japan and korea have an enormous comic market in terms of their their media called uh, called manga and manhwa um, it's a, it's a massively prolific a prolific market in fact by statistics most uh, most of Fr france's translations from another language into french have now become manga they translate over uh, approximately a third of their translated work actually derives for itself from japan or korea so the only difference between the japanese and korean comics is that korea refers to them as manhua, uh, whereas, um, whereas the Japanese have manga. Um, and manga obviously has several subsets of genres, but very different to the way Western comics function in that they have specific age and demographic uh, centered and focused uh, sort of themes and storytelling techniques, whereas American comics tend to be sort of ages 14 up, um, except for their very violent titles, which will normally be classified into graphic novels instead. Next question. Do you have comics online? Yes, so digital comics have become an enormous market at the moment. So there are large repositories such as Tapas and Comixology that specialize in actually distributing digital comics. Um, and well, interestingly, the, even digital comics as a term has become a bit problematic because they, they infer one thing. Uh, now you're getting things like virtual reality comics and motion comics where comics are actually partially animated, um, interactive comics, visual novels, which are actually video games that are then themed yeah, around comics. I was going to say video games are in a way like a comic. Yes, yeah. and there's that's and you can make game. your own story, yes. as it were. Yeah. yeah, so those ones tend to be uh, tend to actually have a modicum of agency in them as well, where you can make choices that determine what happens to the characters, um, and then the storytelling actually revolves around your branching narratives. So it becomes a really diverse and interesting media where you can only consume that on screen, um, versus previously where most comics were bought, uh, bought, uh, bought and, and distributed uh, um, via paper and physical artifacts.
Well, Ray, your choices certainly are unusual. And here's your next one, which is called What Went Down by a group called I'm Folds. talking to Ray Witcher, a South African comic artist. And my next question is, what has happened to all the millions of comics that there must have been around? Do people collect comics from you know, days of the 50s and 60s of the last century? Yeah, so that's a really great question. So unfortunately, a lot of people tend to throw away comics, as you mentioned yourself with Tinted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, 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 there is an enormous collector's market. So for example, Action Comics number one, which was the first debut appearance of Superman in 1938, recently sold for $8 million. And, it, and the, the biggest irony of it is it belonged to actor Nicolas Cage. It was the strangest circumstances. He actually had bought this comic a long time ago. And the accrual rate of value of comics has become it's insane um, to actually know how much a comic becomes worth uh, over just the space of a few years sometimes. So even modern comics, there's storylines that have come out in 2010 where the comics are already selling for over $10,000. So, so if, if people, if listeners have comics at home left over from their childhood, yes. hang on to them. Uh, particularly the, the classics like Superman, Batman, Captain America. If you have those, you're pretty much Beano. set for life. Beano is different though because Beano is an anthology style comic. So while they will have value to certain collectors, they're not as widely distributed as your Americans, uh, your standard yeah. American comics. It's the same as even your, 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 um, your Tintin would have had some value, but not as much as, say, a Superman yeah. comic. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, but I just wonder how many people have things lying at home, you know, in a box yes, somewhere, somewhere in from their <laughs> youth. Yeah, <laughs> you never know. And is there a, a sort of place in South Africa where, well, apart from you, they could take them to you? Um, yeah, actually, you, you'd be surprised. Um, comic shops like uh, Cosmic Comics that are based uh, just in Randburg actually have what's called C a CGC, which is the Comic Grading Collective. Um, so wh what happens is if you have a comic of value, you put it into a special envelope and they send it off to the US where they then evaluate the extent of damage, watermarking, dog earring on pages. It's There's many criteria that they check. And then they give you a, a rating out of 10 of how good quality this comic actually is. So the, the ultimate goal is to have a 9.8 comic because there's no such thing as a perfect but a 9.8 is essentially ultimate grade and those comics as soon as they're CGC'd even if you bought them for 70 Rand are immediately worth upwards of a thousand right off the bat and that's that's for a new comic if it was something like Superman and you could get it of even a quality of 5.6 you could still sell it for millions and it's fascinating to think about well this is amazing because <laughs> I'm sure there are collections of things around the country that people have stashed away in a cupboard somewhere yeah. or you know, that your parents, when they moved house, they wanted to downsize. Yes. And there's bound to be a box somewhere. Somewhere, yeah. What a fascinating story. So now, uh, tell us about the current state of, of comic arts, because you're a lecturer at WITS. Who do you lecture to? So that's a, that's a wonderful question, and thank you for asking that. So when I when I teach comic theory, it's, I have two courses. So I have a main course which is called Digital Arts Theory, which encompasses a lot of varying aspects around making art in the digital era. But then I also have an elective uh, research project, which is actually focused on generating digital comics. So the one is very senior centered. So mostly um, it's uh, it's a group of fourth year and honors students that work on that project, um, where they are asked and tasked to generate a comic of some kind, and then critically reflect upon it in, uh, by using theory, by using um, critical engagement, and even by audience participation. So we've had various scholars um, review their works and discuss it with them as well. Um, and it becomes a really interesting place to 
almost kind of argue the case for shifting the paradigm of comics from print to digital. Whereas the younger students that I teach in the second year curriculum, that I essentially want to teach them what it means to make a sequential narrative. So that doesn't mean that it has to be a comic, it's just how to tell a story in a sequence of images. So animation falls under that category as well, for example. Um, and it's just to get them to understand the power of the image with the combination of text. Um, and, uh, and so that's essentially where my main mandate lies. I also have several people studying master's degrees where I supervise them and, and they are doing critical analyses of comics. They, some are making comics, et cetera, et cetera. And then even under my own mandate where I'm research, researching for my doctorate, I'm essentially trying to establish a new genre for comics in South Africa itself, which I'm very tentatively terming vernacular genre for now, but I haven't quite figured out how to define it yet. So it's a bit like the title of your next choice, which is Hide and Seek by Imogen Heap. My guest in People of Note tonight is Ray Witcher, who's a South African lecturer in digital arts at Wits University. He's an academic and also a comic artist himself. Ray, let's just take another type of artistry. And I just quote um, um, William Kentridge, for example who I've got uh, a book of his, I think it's called Second Reading, where mm. he's made a moving image. If you flick through the book, you remember those small comic books yes. that you could make people move by flicking through the pages? Yes. Does that count as comic art? <laughs> it's actually, there's so many cases to argue for something like that, because again, it is a sequential narrative. Kendridge himself, is because of his multimodality and mixed media approach to art, is very much situated in that sort of medium. I mean, you look at all his pieces on Soho Eckstein and the various kind of biographical versus creative pieces that he's done. It's always sat itself in that kind of medium because he's done so much animation work. He's done pieces with actual speech bubbles in them before as well. Um, so I, I think Kendridge is a, a really great example as a fine artist that's actually using and referencing other other media such as animation and comics to almost create his own genre as well. So and, uh, and Diane Victor is also another one that does quite a lot of, a, a lot of that we're mixing multi a multi-modality mixing mixing all sorts of different media as well so charcoal with with pen and ink um the digital media as well there's so many different things that these artists are doing and it's following a lot of what comics have done as well and it's a fascinating area to, to look at and of course there's another element to this and i well remember um jonathan shapiro zapiro yes who was completely inspired by is it Herge, the, yes. the artist yes. of uh, Tintin? Of Tintin, yeah. yes. And I know that he went to, I think he was in Belgium. He went to visit him in Belgium. And uh, I suspect that he was inspired by comics to get where he is today as a, as a political commentator through his art. Of course, yeah. I mean, Zapiro is an incredible example of someone that's made a true success out of editorial cartooning. And, I mean, we've had an incredible history, and funnily enough, as South Africa with editorial cartoons. So we've seen Dov Fedler, Zapiro, Dr. Jack. those uh, J.M. Really, uh, Jackson, yes. I remember, was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, all these great figures. But we actually, we, we've had political ca uh, cartoonists since the early days of, co of colonization with, with Crookshank, for example, who was actually one of the few artists that were sent on the ships originally and wrote a lot of com uh, wrote and made a lot of comics about his journey and the, the kind of terrible things that the British did to them. Um, and it was quite a fascinating tale. And Crookshank brought this medium with him and others started generating it from him as well. This is 
this is turning into a sort of a an historical overview <laughs> of comics. I have, it's amazing the the depth of information about this comic world. Yeah. Where where do they go back to originally? Who was the originator of comics as we know them? Pictures <laughs> with bubbles and things. Uh, Crookshank. So- it's a, it's people like Crookshank, yes, yeah. but it goes way back. I mean, you could argue that hieroglyphics are pictograms, which yeah. are images as text. Yeah. You could argue that rock art is a comic yeah, because yeah, it's yeah. still a visual narrative. But I think in terms of the contemporary form, there are two d- very distinct eras that, that comics derive from. And one was the early ukiyo-e um, period during Japan, where the Japanese were already telling sequential narratives and had uh, and uh, over a period of time, so such as art like Hokusai's The Wave, they started integrating speech bubbles into the into the actual images so the and they were often made in triptychs um, and then you would actually read it from right to left like you do with most Japanese texts and it would actually tell a story and an incredibly beautiful tribute to that is Kubo and the Two Strings which is a stop frame animation done by Leica Leica animation and it's actually based off of one of those early ukiyo-e paintings which is absolutely gorgeous and so from the the eastern perspective they were already making that a long time ago but you were seeing speech bubbles appear in things like illuminated texts as early as the Renaissance period, a lot of a lot of woodcut prints uh, would often also feature captions, which again was an early form of it. But the commercial, traditional commercial format of comics for, was first invented by Winsor McKay in the late 1800s. Um, Winsor McKay, interestingly, is also the father of commercial animation. Um, so he started as a comic artist and then moved on to becoming an animator and invented a lot of techniques that that are still used in practice today. Um, and that was a fascinating era. And and so he started the whole speech bubbles with panels and and directionality and reading comics in the way that you do now and then when the funnies were released in the early 30s they start they kind of pioneered the format that we got used to as a comic because once the funnies were arrived in 1931 1932 it was very they were followed very shortly after by superman in 1938 Um, and he was the first true superhero um, whereas the phantom was actually before him but people kind of forget the phantom exists (laughs) what a fascinating story And our next music is called Techno Band by Swing City. You're listening to People of Note on Classic 1027. I'm Richard Koch, and my guest tonight is Ray Witcher, who's a lecturer in digital arts at Wits University and a comic artist himself. How did this exhibition, you were talking about an exhibition at JAG, that's the Johannesburg Art Gallery. This is on till the 17th of November. And it's in association with IFAS, the French Institute in South Africa. How did it really come about that we had this link with uh, Francophone Africa? I mean, you talked about the fact that they have comics there, too. Uh, Why... West Africa, why Francophone Africa in particular? It's That's a fascinating thing. So because, again, the, the, with the histories of colonization and the way the way Western artifacts were spread throughout the African continent, as you, as you well know, a lot of Africa has actually got a Francophone uh, sort of origin to it. Um, and so with that came francophone uh, francophone comics francophone art and so french speaking artists were were already starting to actually arrive and develop in the african context so you we actually have seen some really interesting stuff coming out of places like the drc uh, with these really beautiful amazing comics that are actually it's it's so uniquely african but you can see the western influence but there's this really great most style and method of storytelling even the reunion islands for example has an enormous comic industry which is you'd think 
for a tiny volcanic island. <laughs> it's like, it's it, really completely bizarre. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the fascinating thing is that because of the spread of, of Western artifacts, so obviously with our origins that are shared between French and British and a lot of other influences and Dutch as well, and we actually received quite a lot of those artifacts through the process of colonization too. So the very British sensibilities of comics were also arrived at the same time as French styles of bande dessinée. Um, and so we started getting these interesting mixes and hybrids and I think that's why when you were mentioning Eagle comics for example people were reading Eagle while they were reading Asterix while they were reading Superman and it was a fascinating thing because all these different cultures were being kind of proliferated at a very rapid rate um, and I think that's why it was so important that this exhibition happened so, so that we could demonstrate this very shared love of comics within the within the two very different cultures and continents um, because we were looking spe specifically at kind of our model of making comics as South Africans particularly is very similar to French bande dessinée artists um, whereas we're not looking to make a maximum profit like the Americans where they have a particular model and a particular system of doing their work ours is much more expressive and much more about telling the story and telling a story that's uniquely located to our audiences and i think that becomes much more much more interesting when you look at how often we have biographic comics for example in fact there's a full series about shocker called shocker rising and king shocker which was developed in, in conjunction with the south african government and is an international bestseller but people don't even know about it in this country and there's two full volumes of 200 pages worth of comics and it's an amazing piece of work by an artist named Luke Mulver who is based in Durban um, and it's just so interesting to know that biographic comics become important here and um, we've got everything from comics about Nelson Mandela and Joe Masejo through to Miriam Makeba um, to King uh, to Shaka Zulu himself and these are these are commonplace artifacts that are in this country and biographic comics aren't common in a western pedagogy um, because you tend to see a lot more commercialized uh, work and the biographic stuff tends to be much more niche much more underground far far less consumed and you but talk far more potent as in well. our previous and so uh, section another about, one uh, bites the dust biographics and almost educational material how much comic work and i think comic is probably the wrong word here because we're not talking about funny we're talking about informative mm. How much are they used in education? So, uh, not as much as I'd like them to be, um, because I personally believe that comics are an incredibly accessible method of teaching people. Because of the limited amount of text with the greater priority over images, it often is, uh, it, uh, it has a greater potential to reach especially less literate people, because you have more context to what you're trying to teach. And as a personal experience, I actually worked for a major car brand once, um, where I actually made an educational com a comic about safety in the, in the workplace. So, in those massive manufacturing plants, there's obviously many things that can go wrong. And I, I was commissioned to actually detail what to do in those situations and relying on your teammates. And the thing I like most about comics is how easy they are to translate into other languages because the pictures don't need to change. You just need to change the speech bubbles. Speaking from personal experience again, I, uh, my own comic called Wanton has actually been translated into Southern Sasutu. Um, I did that for a very particular reason because I wanted my characters to speak their home languages. So if a character is going to be speaking Sutu to, uh, to his son, for example, that needs to happen. I don't want a very ham-fisted attempt to try... Uh, at kind of 
pretending to be uh, the characters to be speaking a language so it's grammatically correct I consulted with the bits African languages department there's a lot of thinking that has to be involved in this but it just shows how easy it is to translate something because it's just a matter of taking the text replacing it with a different language and it's already there because you have context and that power there is just incredible because I feel that we could use comics to be so much more useful especially from your primary uh, primary school learners up um, because you can reach so many different people is there a sort of built-in antagonism to comics in in older communities yeah, I would I would definitely say so. Unfortunately, and that stigma did come from a time where uh, comics were a luxury, for example, and that it was something you didn't need to have. Um, it was a collectible, so it was just when there were much more big things to worry about. Comics were the last priority. And you better people. read something proper. Yes, yeah. If you're going to read, buy a book, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So because comics were just junk and whatever, um, and I think that's uh, that's a sadly it's, it does has become endemic in, in a certain age group. And as I mentioned earlier, I encountered it a lot when I was in high school, for example, where people viewed even my fellow classmates actually used to tease me and mock me for my love of comics. And uh, it, it was interesting because you could see it wasn't coming from their opinion; it was coming from people telling them that comics oh, yeah, were yeah. wrong and that they were bad and that they don't mean enough I mean whoa, when I first told people I loved anime that everyone think, I thought I was a pervert because of that the, because anime itself has a very bad stigma attached to it as well which is holistically untrue and it's just because of that one bad element that's the first thing you type uh, when you when you type in anime onto Google you'll get horrific porn and, and, and things like that unfortunately that happens and it's almost the same as what's, what happened to comics as well where there, there was a time when they were just nonsense and people didn't see them as important or valuable or just anything other than something you wasted 50 cents on. Um, and I think that's a sad thing. And here you are, a lecturer at Wits University in that very thing. Exactly. Your next choice of music is called Chop Suey. I'm talking to Ray Witcher, who's a lecturer in digital art at Wits and also co-curator of an exhibition at the Joburg Art Gallery, which runs till the 17th of November. What is it called, actually? The exhibition is actually simply titled The Art of Comics. So nothing fancy. It's just we wanted to try and get as wide an audience as possible. So our goal is to get people, young children, as, as young as three years old, through to whoever would like to, to, to come through and see this exhibition. We've made it very child-friendly. We've tried to make it as, as approachable and open as possible so that people can see the work, can ask questions, can even contact the artist because all of us are available. Yeah. And just tell us about, because some some people may be nervous about going to that part of town. Yes. Just tell us about that. Yes. Yeah, so unfortunately, there has been some changes in, in the Joburg CBD, as we as we are all aware. But the the fact of the matter is that Jag itself is an incredibly beautiful and safe space. There's lots of adequate parking. There's uh, there's a lot of security available on site, and the building itself is always quiet. It's it's very nicely situated, and it's actually not that difficult to get there. So my recommendation is going via the Constitutional Court Road, and because then it's a simple matter of popping down the hill, turning left, right, and then you're there. It's actually very easy to get to. It's it's just it's in Jubair Park. It's in Jubair Park. Yeah. yeah. So don't be put off by the uh, by the surroundings of the gallery because it's still an absolutely beautiful space and a beautiful building. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I when I first came to Joburg, they were just busy building the new extension because yes. uh, the original is a Lutyens building. Yes. Which was then had an extension which was part of their uh, centenary or something. Yes. I think Anglo American. Yeah. Gave them some money to build that. Uh, and 
is it quite a big exhibition? It's massive. So it actually encompasses the entirety of the main floor, the main space of Jack. Um, so as you go into the main hall, you'll see a historical retrospective and comics. And then each wing actually focuses on the different aspects of the gallery. So if, if you had to go to the left, you'd start with the Kintu Collab and LGBT comics. You'd then go through into the main hall, the, the, main, the main exhibition space for South African comics. And we've categorized them into genre as well. So we've done specific write-ups on what each of the genres in South Africa's kind of main mandate is and why they function the way they do so there's a lot of educational material about how we make comics in South Africa you then go to the uh, into kids comics and younger audiences as you go through to the back there's the bookshop which is actually selling most of the comics that are on display which I'm very happy about and then you continue forward into the French section which then details how the French approach their style of comic making and art as well as looking at the Reunion Islands work as well which is fascinating because you see how, how much beautiful work is produced from such a small country um, and it's a, a really a unique space and the, we made the we made the the gallery and the exhibition symmetrical and cyclical so that you can enjoy it in any direction at a, and at any pace you'd like what a fascinating story and i recently interviewed on this program people of note joey achama who is a chef from reunion and he was telling me mm. about the fantastic mix of communities yes on reunion and maybe this has got something to do with it because you've got people from africa from india from the far east yes uh, from mainland france so it's a complete mix of peoples on Reunion. Yes. And maybe this has got something to do with it. I think so. I mean, the Reunion, much like South Africa, is a very cosmopolitan place. It's so mixed and so diverse and so beautiful. And the thing I found most interesting about their comics is that they have this amazing kind of reverential almost splits so they have young artists that are just starting and older established artists that have been making comics for 50 years and they all work together in the same space it's this beautiful amazing thing because it just it shows you the really established history of france as well where they actually are, will be celebrating the uh, it's i can't remember what the event is called but it's the 2020 angoulême comic festival and it's a very big deal for them because comics have been an official art in france for 60 years now and um, which is an amazing thing to think about and thinking about it, you really don't want to join the wrong crowd. We've been talking about the comics themselves. Talk to me a little bit about the artists who make them and about the artistry that goes into it. Are any of them still done by hand, for example, or are they all digital now? Yeah, so that's uh, that's a really wonderful question as well. So in terms of the South Africans uh, kind of schema of artists, most of us are aged, I would say, between the age of 18 and approximately 38, de de depending on, on where we are sitting at the moment with comics. And it's it's a unique space that we work in because a lot of us do work digitally, but a lot of us do prefer to work manually and traditionally as well. So even on display at the gallery, you'll see quite a lot of the comics were hand drawn with pen and ink um, and uh, and still show the, uh, the pencil marks where others are done digitally. So in my instance, um, so to be able to, to speak from my own perspective, I specifically chose to do digital for my comic because it was faster um, and just easier to manage the process because then I can quality control immediately. So if I notice that one the characters isn't looking good instead of having to rub it up and draw all over again i just press ctrl z and then it takes me five minutes so it's a really easy process to do it in digital but 
the, some of the magic of the traditional art gets lost. You don't have the imperfections. You don't have the kind of that's almost nuanced approach to making the comic because it's always going to look the way you want it to look. And I think that's the big difference. But it's not to put a, a cast dispersions on either medium because traditional art does take a lot longer because you have to be you have to bear bear in mind that the, these works will need to be scanned, recolored, re-edited, um, and then uh, then manually colored uh, in some instances. Like some people will still use markers and watercolors to color their comics, which is absolutely fascinating. So it is a matter of choice. And I think that's what makes it so unique is that, especially in the South African context, because we don't have a mainstream publisher dictating how we approach our medium, we have the luxury of being able to do it in whatever size, whatever format, whatever medium we like. And I think that's a really unique space to be in. And also, I just, I'm interested to know who comes to you at WITS as a student and what they come to discover. Yes. So the students that are particularly enrolled in the digital arts program are naturally going to be those that have an affinity towards things like video games, towards animation, towards comics, because our program. So your your program covers all of that. Yes. 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 Um, so and, and including what we call experimental narratives. So it's for people that want to write in a different way. So where we use hypertext and multimodal storytelling methods, which is really fascinating. So the students that come to us are naturally going to be more technically inclined. Um, um, but at the same time, we'll still have a heritage or background in art making. Um, and we have a very unique program in that it's hybridized because it's also sh we, we share our degree with the engineer, with the electrical engineering de uh, department as well. Um, so we offer two degrees, which is the a Bachelor of Engineering Science in Electrical and Information Engineering or the BA in Digital Arts. And the students have the option to do one or, uh, one or the other, but then can cross over programs once they've gotten to their, their final qualification years. So an engineering student can, can qualify as an engineer but then come and do a BA honors and masters with us um, which is absolutely fascinating and we've I've actually got that uh, in, uh, an instance of that right now in my comic research group where one engineering student who loved loved the art side so much actually decided he'd rather focus his work and, and his career on to using the digital arts practices so he's still an incredible coder he's an amazing engineer but he's he's found that his passion lies in creating and he wants to work in the creative sphere of the digital arts program well I think this is absolutely fascinating Fascinating. And I was just thinking, you know, I travel around on the roads around Joburg quite a bit. And I look, for example, uh, and I'm going to talk about architecture now, yes. because this is also linked up somehow. And I look at buildings that someone has obviously designed, and then it looks as though they've twisted them. Yes. So, I mean, it looks, it's a visual thing. It looks as though almost someone has taken a model and just twisted it mm. to to give it a sort of spiral effect. Yeah. And I think this is amazing, which probably would not have happened pre-digital days. No, definitely because not. Because you couldn't see it somehow. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a fascinating story for you. We actually currently have two architecture students that are with, our, with us in, our, in, the, in <laughs> yeah. the master's program. The reason being is that they wanted to actually use gamification technology. Um, so gamification being something where you use the kind of standards of game design in order to get, encourage people to do something without them knowing it. So you add a little bit of a competitive element, for example. So the one student is actually using um, digital visualizations of space to reinterpret um, Nelson Mandela Square, for example. And so, so she's interrogating how you can better engage with the space by using both virtual reality and augmented reality. And it's an incredible thing because that wouldn't have happened five years ago, for example. Now we have access to full-scale full scale VR rigs that allow you to move around the space that you would never have been able to do before okay we're going to listen to your next bit of music and then i have another question for you about 
virtual reality. Recently, I was uh, also courtesy of IFAS, funny enough, uh, we had a, a project called Mozart 360, mm. where there was a performance of the Mozart Requiem, which if you put your headset on, you could actually look around you and see from different angles what was going on. And this was fascinating. How much of that is involved in in comics or comic art because you could actually become part of the comic art yourself. Now here's a very exciting thing. So we actually have an example of using virtual reality in comics at the exhibition. Uh -huh. So it's, it's a piece called Accused Number no. 2 which is based on the Walter Sisulu trial during the Constitutional Court era. So what happened was the team actually took archives from the Constitutional Court, so video recordings, audio recordings, the transcripts and they actually reinterpreted it into a full 360 degree uh, um, uh, virtual reality video where you stand in the place of Walter Sisulu and you actually experience the horrific treatment that he received during that time um, and it's absolutely incredible because you have the full capacity to view this very intimidating because the art style that was used was very brutal and very yeah. harsh and it's this incredibly intimidating experience uh, but it's amazing because now you're sitting in the space of this person that existed and experiencing what it must have been like for him sitting in this court and uh, and, the, and the fear and everything that actually was around it and the, so I've even got some of some students working on a horror comic at the moment using VR technology where you move around the space and then you actually engage with things like comic panels as actual physical spaces which is really interesting um, and then of course you get things like organ reality where you hold your cell phone in front of a comic and suddenly the characters on the pages spring to life and start running around on your screen or start animating or you get a, a soundtrack that's that's delivered from your from your phone that's showing you how the comic would sound in real life well I think it all sounds absolutely fascinating so people should get down to this exhibition at yes. JAG Johannesburg Art Gallery it's running until the 17th of November it's uh, who is the South African side of things? I know it's Ifas or Ifas doing the whole thing. So Ifas is the is the main the main benefactor and then managing most of it. So, but from the South African side, it is a collaboration between the the, the Joburg Art Gallery and myself. Um, so as a representative of its university, obviously. Um, so we've got quite a core contingent of South Africans there. But I must say also a huge word of thanks to our sponsors Total. Um, they were very generous and very helpful in helping us make this exhibition a reality, as well as the friends of. Jag as well that have been incredibly instrumental in making this whole process work. And entrance is free. Absolutely free and we encourage as many people to come as possible. They must also please check out the Friends of Jag website because the gallery is also running a series of workshops that are based around comics and comic making um, and there's been everything from Base, basics how to make a comic through to actually what it's like to make to actually make uh, make queer comics for example and the bravery and and and, f and freedom that comes from actually expressing yourself in a medium that's so that's so available um, and we've even we've had some fascinating ones we also had an augmented reality workshop where we had a group of, a group of youngsters teaching each other how to make augmented reality comics and just a final word do you have a website for your digital arts at wits Yes, I do, actually. It's a very long website. <laughs> so it's vits.ac.za. Uh, then it's forward slash WSOA forward slash digital hyphen arts. I'm going to give you that again. Yes. Vits.ac.za forward slash WSOA, which stands for? The Vits School of Arts. WSOA forward slash digital hyphen arts. Yes. 
vits.ac.za forward slash WSOA forward slash digital hyphen arts. And we also, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You just have to type in Vits Digital Arts. There we go. Yes. My guest on People of Note has been Ray Witcher, who is a lecturer in digital arts at Vits, and he's one of the co-curators of the exhibition at the Johannesburg Art Gallery at the moment, all about comic art. So there you are. Get along there and see what it's all about. You've been listening to People of Note on Classic 1027. My guest, Ray Witcher, and Pete Buerter has helped us put it all together. Thank you, Pete. And to all of you at home for listening. We hope you have a fantastic week. And don't forget to get down to the Johannesburg Art Gallery. <laughs>